It has uh, been quite some time, actually three weeks since I have been in the pulpit. Couldn't have foreseen the events that uh, were about to transpire. I had a gospel meeting, and then my dad got sick, and uh, so he had a gospel meeting. He wouldn't, uh, wasn't able to do, so he had, well, the elders there had asked if uh, we could just swap, if I could do the meeting. I was supposed to preach at the same place in the spring. And they said, well, you go ahead and preach for your dad now, and your dad can preach for you in the spring. And uh, so we made that swap. And uh, then the following week, um, as I was coming home, uh, I'd just gotten home on a Friday night. Dad was doing better. He'd been in Pittsburgh Hospital, and uh, they were able to do a procedure that uh, prevented surgery. And uh, so... I'd gotten home, we were exhausted from all the traveling and so forth, but then uh, that morning I got a call from my sister saying that he had passed away that night. Um, Rather shocking, you know, we thought everything was kind of on the mend, but um, so we had to go right back up and then follow up that with another, uh, I had a meeting scheduled in October, and so it's been uh, busy. Uh, We've done a lot of miles and uh, are tired But uh, we are so glad to be back here, and um, it's been a difficult thing. I I know that many of you have lost your your parents, and you know what that's all about, but uh, I will tell you that it gives tremendous help uh, knowing the hope that we have in Jesus, and um, that that is um, something that you wouldn't trade. You know, there are a lot of things that um, you why would you be a Christian? Why would you give your life to Christ? Why would you um, deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow him? Um, One of those answers, one of many, is the hope that you have. And uh, so we're we're holding on to that, and we appreciate everything that has been done. I've received literally hundreds of cards, uh, thousands of... Um, emails and Facebook messages and so forth, more than I can possibly uh, take the time to answer individually. But uh, I want you to know how much we appreciate uh, your kindness, all the nice things that have been said, the words of encouragement. Um, I appreciate the elders for allowing me the time to take care of things and to help my mom out some and uh, the time necessary to be away during this. I, I hear of, um, you know, people sometimes, and I can remember uh, times when you try to figure out, you know, what does Jesus look like? Uh, you know, portraits have him looking pretty American. You know, a lot of the portraits, uh, blue-eyed and so forth. I, I don't think that that's probably what he looked like. I don't know what he looked like, bottom line. But I have a suspicion that... Um, he looks a lot like you all um, because you guys bear a remarkable resemblance uh, to him. And I just appreciate um, all the kindnesses and the things that you've done and said to us over the last few weeks to make this whole ordeal a little bit easier. Um, this morning, I want to share with you a lesson uh, from the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it there. <clears throat> It's very basic, uh, it's very simple, and I've preached it before. In fact, I preached it 50 
or excuse me, 40 years ago. Um, when I was a child, we had a young men's night on Wednesday nights. Uh, I think it was every fifth Sunday, kind of like we do here. And the young men would uh, get up, speak, and so forth. And it was my turn to do that, and, and I was asked to uh, do a, a sermon that that Wednesday night. I had never preached before. I was 12 years old, and uh, <clears throat> my dad wrote this sermon out for me. Um, I say it's my first sermon, but actually it was his sermon that I read really well. Uh, well, not even so well. But uh, I thought, you know, I'll, I'm just going to go back and preach uh, that very first sermon that I preached. At the time, well, there's a box up here. I don't need to stand on that box anymore. Uh, there was a box I stood on, and I preached this sermon that Dad worked out for me. And I want to share with you uh, this lesson as well. One of the things that I, I find and think about when I think of my dad's preaching was that he was very simple, very down-to-earth, very fundamental, and he got to the core of things that really mattered. And our relationship to God really matters. We can talk about a lot of things, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is, are you saved or are you lost? Are you headed for heaven or are you going to miss out on that? And so this lesson was about that. The greatest need that mankind has is the need for pardon. There's nothing more important than that. Uh, we've all sinned. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, uh, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And so what I need is for somebody to pardon me. I, I don't need more time. You know, people say, just give me more time. Well, what's that going to do you? Number one, time doesn't fix the problem that you made, the sins that you committed. And if you're given more time or given a second chance, well, you know, what are you going to do with that? You're going to mess that up too. And so you don't need more time. You don't need second chances. What you need is for somebody to say, I forgive you. Your sins are pardoned. Um, and that's what God does. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, there's a statement. The prophet Micah says, who is a God like you? He's just overwhelmed by the goodness of God. He said, well, here's what you do. You pass over the transgressions of the remnant of your heritage. You won't retain your anger forever because you're a God who delights in mercy. And I'm thankful that we serve a God who delights in mercy because... I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need pardon. But how do we attain that pardon? You see, we're all sinners, and so we come to a point where our sins have separated us from God, and now instead of going to heaven, we're headed toward hell. How do I fix that? What do I do to, to get back on the road that leads to heaven? Well... <clears throat> That's what this lesson is about, and it's about two laws of pardon that God has for us, and there are two. 
And maybe the best way to illustrate it is, is this. Have you, do you remember when you got your driver's license? In, in order to drive a car legally, you have to get a license, right? And in order to get a license, what do you have to do? Well, you have to pass a permit test, and then you have to dri- pass a driving test, and then your license is, is given to you. That's how you get your license. Well, sort of. That's one way you get your license. But there are two ways, actually. Because that's how someone gets their license who has never had their license before. But there's also another way for someone who used to have a license, but their license has expired. How do they get their license? Do they have to go take another permit test? Do, do they have to go take another driving test? Or is there some other thing that they have to do? You see, there's two answers to that question. And the answers depend on whether you've ever had a driver's license before or whether you haven't. There's two ways to get your driver's license. And God does the same thing with regard to pardon. There's something that people who are not Christians have to do to be forgiven of sins. And there's something that people who are Christians have to do to be forgiven of sins. And they're both different. And if we get those things mixed up, then we have problems. And that's, listen, if you can understand this one truth today, you'll be far ahead of most of the religious world. Because what most of the religious world does is they apply God's law of pardon to Christians and try to apply it to those who are non-Christians and say, this is the way you obey the gospel, and it's the wrong plan. So let's look and see if we can't identify God's two laws of pardon this morning. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2 for God's first law of pardon. And this is the law of pardon for a non-Christian. If you're not a child of God and you want forgiveness of your sins, here's what you have to do. We turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And do you remember in, well, just go back to Acts chapter 1. The Lord was speaking to his disciples right before he ascended. And um, he said, uh, well, they had asked the question, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't get it right. And Jesus isn't in a dither here and like, man, I'm about ready to go back and you still don't have this right in your heads. Come on, guys, what, what is going on? He's not in panic mode because he knew the Spirit of God would be sent and would guide them into all truth. And so the Spirit has descended upon them in Acts chapter 2. And they began to speak in tongues as a manifestation of, of the Spirit's power. And, and they could speak in languages that they had never studied before. And that empowered them to preach to all these peoples on this day of Pentecost. Because there were people from all over the world there. And now they had the ability to speak in other languages so that all these folks could hear and learn this important truth. And what they preach, look at Acts Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. 
Him being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Listen to what Peter says and the forcefulness of it. You know, sometimes I, you know, we wonder, well, what about the resurrection story? Is that real? Is, it, is that just a made-up story? If it were made up, it would have been shot down right here. Because Peter says, this Jesus of Nazareth, you all know who I'm talking about. You saw his miracles. You know it. And he says in this statement, as you yourselves know, there wasn't an uprising and saying, we know nothing of a kind. We never saw anything. This was so established that he could say this and nobody, nobody balked. So Jesus proved himself to be the Son of God. And they, through lawless hands, those Romans, crucified him. And now he's proclaiming to them this same Jesus, verse 36. God has made both Lord and Christ. Well, verse 37, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? As he preached this sermon, and I didn't go through all of it, but I gave you the gist, Jesus Christ was the Son of God. You crucified him. God has raised him up, and he's Lord in Christ. And they're convinced. And now, I mean, imagine if you were in their shoes. Imagine if you were part of the mob that got caught up. You know that mob mentality? You can kind of be a bystander, but get caught up in things and pulled into things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise do if so many people weren't doing it. And you're there, and maybe you said, crucify him. Jesus is now Lord in Christ, Son of God, and I was consenting to his death. I'm a sinner. What am I going to do? God sent his Son, and I helped to put him on the cross. They asked the question, what are we going to do? And here's what Peter said in verse 38. Then Peter said to them, excuse me, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. There's the solution. That's God's law of pardon. Here are people who were not Christians. They killed the Son of God, and now they say, how do we fix this? And Peter said, well, I see you believe. I mean, it's obvious. They were cut to the heart. And these believers were told, now, here's what you need to do. You need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're not a Christian this morning, that answer is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. If you're, a child, if you're not a child of God today and you're guilty of sin, then you need to do exactly what Peter said they needed to do. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's God's law of pardon for the non-Christian. Look at Acts chapter 16 and let's look at another example. Um, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are imprisoned. And while they're in prison... <clears throat> 
they were singing hymns, songs of praise to God. Their circumstances hadn't so overwhelmed them that they were in a deep depression. They were praising God. Um, and as they sang, there was a great earthquake and it loosened their chains and they could have escaped, but they didn't. And when the prisoner or when the guard saw that they could have escaped, he was ready to put himself to death. But they cried out and said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. Don't kill yourself. And then he came in and said, asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Now, you know, it it matters not to me whether you think that he was asking, how do I save myself from death, physical death, or how I save myself from spiritual death. To me, it doesn't really matter what he had in mind. I know how the apostles answered. Because here's what Paul told him. Look at verse 31. Um, well, verse 30, he brought them out, that is the jailer, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved in your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and they took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Same thing happens here that happened on the day of Pentecost. Here's a jailer living in Philippi. He doesn't know anything about Jesus or the, or the cross, probably. He's just doing his job. And, and this event happens, and these men come and say, here's what you need to do to be saved. Believe on Jesus. Well, what's he know about Jesus? I don't know if he knew anything about Jesus. That's why they immediately began to teach him about Jesus. And when he learned about Jesus, he was baptized. Because Acts 2 says that's how we get forgiveness of sins. And so this man, same hour of the night, was baptized, he and his family. Again, God's law of pardon for the non-Christian. If you find yourself in sin, needing to be saved, what do you do? You believe on the Lord. You turn from your sins. Did he turn from his sins? Yeah. Evidence of that is the fact that he had just beaten these men, and now he's washing their stripes. He's tending to their wounds. He feels remorse, and he's trying to to, uh, repay. And he is then baptized along with his family. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 22, and let's look at... um, the conversion of Saul. Saul, if you go back to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 7, was a persecutor of the church. He was a faithful Jew. He thought, man, he, he well, he had excelled above all of his peers. But he did not understand that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been looking for. And those who had claimed that he was the Messiah, he thought they were blasphemers. And so he had spent his energy trying to put down this this sect of Christians. And as he did that, um, he was on the road to Damascus. A bright light shines. He's blinded, and he hears this voice, and the voice tells him, I'm the Lord whom you're persecuting. And uh, he says, well... What would you have me to do? See, he's been wrong. 
who he thought was not the Lord is the Lord. And now he has this heavenly vision. And the Lord says, this voice says, go into Damascus, into the city, and there it will be told to you what you must, must do. And so he did. He had some men lead him in. He was blind. And a preacher by the name of Ananias comes to him and he says, Saul, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. You see, when Paul was, or Saul at the time, when he was uh, in the city, Ananias was told, here's how you'll find him. He'll be praying. Well, if you had been persecuting the church and even on a mission, on a trip, a journey to do more of the same in the next city, and you find out that you're wrong, and this heavenly vision blinds you and talks to you and says, I'm the Lord whom you're persecuting, you've got this all wrong. What would you have prayed about? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I did what I did in ignorance. Wouldn't that be a part of your prayer? Here's a man who would have been praying to God for forgiveness. And when he's found, he's found praying. But he's told, get up, stop praying, and go get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's God's law of pardon. And there are other examples that you, we can pick out, but here are three of them for you this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you're someone who has never obeyed the gospel, but you know, uh, I've sinned. You know, I, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. And I really don't want to die and go to hell. Then what should you do? God has a law of pardon for you. And it's to believe in His Son, turn from your sin, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll be forgiven. He gives us His promise. That's how a person who's not a Christian gets forgiveness. So if you haven't done that, be thinking about that this morning. We're going to sing a song of encouragement in just a little bit. And and if that is you, then... Take advantage of the fact that God delights in mercy. And this is His plan of pardon that He offers you. But what if you're a Christian and you sin? What are you supposed to do? You know, when we rise up out of the baptism, uh, the waters of baptism, uh, Romans says we rise to walk in newness of life. And, and sure enough, we intend to. We feel good, we forget, we're forgiven, all of our sins are gone, we stand pure before God, and maybe, maybe, before we even get home that night, we might have a wrong thought, we might let a word slip out, or maybe it'll take you a little longer, it might take you a week, and you think something, you say something, you do something that isn't Christ-like, you sin. What, what, do you have to come back to the building and, and go get baptized again? Do you have to, I, I was studying with somebody one time and they said, well, I just, I, I can't believe that baptism's necessary because that means that every time you sin, you'd have to go get baptized again. Well, what that person didn't understand is that God has two laws of pardon. 
The law of pardon for the non-Christian is that, yeah, you have to repent and be baptized. Is that what he tells Christians who sin? Let's look and see what the Bible says. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down to Samaria and he preaches Jesus to the people. And he had great success. Many believed and were baptized. Verse... um, Philip, begin reading with me in verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was a great joy in that city. And there was also a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed and from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And he was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. So here's what happens. They go go down to, Philip goes down to Samaria. He preaches Jesus. And what's the response of these non-Christians? They believe and they're baptized. They, They met God's law of pardon. But not only did they do it, but even the sinner, Simon, the sorcerer, he too believes and is baptized and follows Philip. He's impressed by Philip and he spends time and he sees the miracles that Philip's doing. And a little bit later, you see that he in the text says, hey, I'd really like to do some of this stuff. I mean, this miracle thing is great. In fact, you know, my former profession, I used to be a sorcerer and I would trick people with these things and you're doing a real thing and man, I'd love to be able to do this. How much would that cost me to be able to get what you are doing? He was completely wrongheaded about the whole thing. And Peter calls him out on it. Look at um, what he says through, uh, Peter says in verse 20, Peter says to him, your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart's not right in the sight of God. And so what's he to do? His heart isn't right in the sight of God. What's he to do? He's a Christian who has now sinned. What's he to do? Listen to what Peter says. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and be baptized. No, that's what non-Christians are told to do, repent and be baptized. But this man's already done that. He's now a Christian. What's a Christian told to do when he sins? Repent and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart be forgiven you. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. And then Simon says, pray for me. That's God's law of pardon for the Christian. 
when we as children of God, we've obeyed the gospel, we've been baptized, our sins are forgiven, but on down the road we make mistakes because of weakness or ignorance, and, and then we want forgiveness, what do we do? We, we don't have to go back to the baptistry. That was a once deal that took you from a non-Christian to a Christian. As a Christian, we're told to repent and pray, and God will forgive. And that's the, God, the law of pardon for the child of God. Turn in your Bible again to 1 John, and we'll, we'll bring this to a close. But in 1 John chapter 1, <clears throat> he tells Christians to walk in the light as he is in the light. And when we do that, we have fellowship with God and with Christ and with one another. And the blood of Christ cleanses us of our sins. And he says, no, listen, if you say you have no sin, you're not telling the truth. I know you're a child of God and you're Christians and you've been baptized and you've repented of your sins, but you're not perfect. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth isn't in you. In fact, if you say that you have not sinned, you're really making God a liar because he says you have. But now here's the thing in verse chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He says, don't sin. Children of God, please don't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. You have someone, a helper, someone to plead your case before God. You have a mediator, an intercessor, who will take your prayers and take them to the Father. Look at what he says in chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So again, when the child of God sins, he doesn't have to get baptized again. He's to confess his sins. He's to make the statement, you know, I've messed up. I'm not perfect. I've failed. I've sinned. I need an advocate. I need an intercessor. I need someone to pray for me. And, and we have just that in Jesus. And so what we have are two laws of pardon. If I were to go get my license, when, when Anne-Marie gets old enough to get her license, for her, what she's going to have to do is she's going to pass that test, and then she's going to pass her driving test, and then she'll get her license. About the same time she gets that license, my license is going to expire, and I'm going to have to get another one. But I'm not going to have to go through all that because we have a different law for me. I'll have to just go through the registration or whatever it is that that we do and, and get the new one. There are two ways you get your license, and God says there are two ways that we find pardon. If you're not a child of God... If you've never obeyed the gospel, if you're not yet a Christian, what you need to do to receive pardon is to repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and God will do just that. If you've already done that, but you've gone back to sin, then you need to repent of your sin and pray that God will forgive you. Listen, life is short. We have no guarantee of how long we'll be here. 
And, you know, I was talking about just a little bit ago, the hope. You want to leave your family with hope, do you not? Do you not want to leave those that love you the most with hope and confidence and assurance that everything's okay with you? If you're not a Christian, you can't do that. If you're a child of God, but, you know, just entangled in sin, you can't do that. You need to obey God's law of pardon. If you need to be baptized into Christ this morning, then we'll assist you in that. Or if you're already, if you've already done that and you need the prayers, if you need to repent and pray for forgiveness, we'll assist you in that as well. If you'll come as we stand together and sing.